Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 74 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delving into Islam at gmail.com, and I promise I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Now, this podcast is for anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you are studying the religion of Islam, or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you are already a Muslim who wants to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. Now, with that being said, let's get right into today's topic. And today's topic is, uh, we will continue talking about the battle of Uhud. And, you know, we mentioned uh, in in the last episode that, you know, the battle of Uhud was a a massive win for the Muslims in the beginning uh, until they uh, took their eyes off the prize. And the prize here was Jannah, was, you know, uh, 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 was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger. And once they took off their eyes, you know, uh, once they took their eyes off the prize and, you know, off the hereafter and they focused on the dunya, they focused on the spoils of war, they disobeyed the commands. And, and of course, they didn't do it on purpose. It's not like they did it to challenge the Prophet They were just like, you know, they got distracted with the worldly rewards and they decided to, you know, let's just go and get some, uh, you know, some of the spoils of war. And they forgot the main purpose of, you know, them fighting for the sake of Allah. Uh, and once this happened, uh, that victory turned upside down into a defeat. Not a major defeat, it's just what happened was a disaster in terms of like the body count and the amount of Muslims who died because of what happened, you know, because of uh, uh, them, you know, abandoning their posts and all these things. But also, it it was not like, I wouldn't call it a defeat because whatever Quraysh wanted to do, eventually they couldn't do it, but they were able to inflict you know, uh, a disaster and a, and a pain and, uh, you know, um, an attack on the Muslim army and the Muslims were not prepared for it. So let's go back to the point where we stopped last time. Uh, Khalid ibn al-Walid, we said he was like the most fierce warrior out of, you know, all of Quraysh at the time. Uh, he saw a chance when he saw the archers, you know, after the, the, the army. Now, Khalid ibn al-Walid is uh, has around between 200 and 300 men with him and basically uh, he led this attack with these few men like they did not go get back uh, uh you know the army uh, uh, of of Quraysh and, and the rest of the you know 3000 and, and whatnot but like no he just led the attack with these uh 300 men and once he found out that the coast is clear, you know, uh, all archers are off the, you know, off the the mountain of the archers. Remember, we talked about this mountain. They went through that passage, and they were able to be again. If you if you keep if you can imagine with me, when once they reach, once they reach that that mountain, they were able to be in the middle between you know dividing the muslims into two halves you know one half is like we said busy uh, picking up uh, the spoils of war and gathering the spoils of war and one uh, side with the prophet sallallahu now the prophet was frustrated because those who left 
The Prophet ﷺ did not tell them that the war ended. The battle did not end. The battle is still going. The Prophet ﷺ, you know, he is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, gave him uh, a great wisdom and a great intelligence. So he was, you know, ready to send people to scout when he saw that the archers are not there, everybody's busy. So he was frustrated. And while he was frustrated, he was able, he was literally the first one to see uh, Khalid and his men approaching them. So he was the first one to see Khalid and his uh, and his men approaching uh, 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 the Muslims. Now, again, like we said, he was in the middle. Khalid was in the middle, so he was able to divide the Muslims into two halves. By the way, when this war started, Muslims were seven hundred. Now, a lot of Muslims died in the battle, so with the element of surprise, yeah, the defeat is very possible. You know, the defeat is very possible with the element of, of, of surprise. Now, when the Prophet ﷺ saw Khalid and his men, we mentioned this before, one of the main goals of Uhud was to kill the Prophet ﷺ. Once they killed the Prophet ﷺ, they say the Muslims will have no leader, that's it, no messenger, it's over. So, the Prophet ﷺ, you know, saw them, so if you know, if, if, if he was any other leader, he would have quietly retreated and seek, you know, uh, protection. And, you know, because again, he is the main target and then he wouldn't even like give up his location. But the Prophet ﷺ didn't care about all this. He started shouting and yelling at the Muslims who are gathering the spoils of war. He goes, oh, Muslims, the army of Quraysh is still here. Of course, when he did that, he gave up his location, but he didn't care. The Prophet ﷺ didn't care about his own life. You know, he wanted to protect the Muslims. And we know this from, you know, throughout the, the, the whole uh, biography of the Prophet ﷺ. He loved the Muslims so much, even us, by the way, the ones that he did not meet. Remember, there was a hadith that he was crying. And then when one of the companions asked him, why are you crying, O Prophet of Allah? He said, I'm crying for the Muslims who, you know, will be there without me. So the companions thought he was talking about them after, you know, he passes away. So, you know, the companions said, oh, Prophet of Allah, don't worry about us. He's like, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the generations who will come after you. You know, they will have no uh, messenger and prophet with them. They will have nothing from me except for books and messages and hadith and, and the Quran I won't be physically there with them. And you know, he wanted to be with us to, you know, give us some boost in our faith. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from those who the Prophet cried for, you know. Um, so yeah, he was known to to be to love the Muslims and care and fear for their lives. So when he did that, now the Muslims started to wake up. What's happening here? What is happening? And then they saw, of course, Khalid and his men. <clears throat> now, on the side of the Prophet wasallam, the Prophet had only nine men, by the way, uh, to protect him. Like he had nine of the companions to protect him. Um, and again, there are like two to three hundred men coming their way. So they all gathered around the Prophet. Like I said, he gave up his location. He doesn't care. But they all begged him to come with them for it's like a bodyguard you know when your bodyguards are like come with me 
you know, this way. So that's exactly what they did. There was a little crevice inside of the mountain, you know, a little opening inside the mountain of Uhud. And they thought this is going to be a safe place for the Prophet ﷺ, you know, to stay there. So they took him uh, to that crevice. So, so they started retreating to the mountain. Now it's behind him, right? The mountain is behind him. Uh, and on the way to the mountain, one of the nine Muslims stayed behind to misdirect them. Now, they don't want they they basically don't want the Khalid and his men to know where the Prophet ﷺ is heading. So one of them stood and he started to fight, you know, as much as he can to misdirect them and buy them sometimes, buy the Muslims sometimes. Then uh, one by one, the, the nine men, one by one, you know, when when the first one died. Another one, you know, took his place because they could, you know, they could see the battle. And one by one, uh, uh, all seven of the nine were killed by the people of Quraysh. And only two Muslims were left. Saad, who was an expert in archery, like he was a, an expert archer. And Talha, who was an expert swordsman. Now, you guys remember, Talha was the guy from Quraysh who fought Ali in the beginning of the duel, right? I said there's one Talha on the side of Quraysh, and then there's another Talha who, uh, you know, someone who has the same name, who is on the side of the Muslims, and we're going to talk about him later. This is Talha that I'm talking about. This is the Muslim, the companion Talha. Now, so these two were like his last, you know, uh, uh, final line of defense. And basically... And this is crazy now. Nine, uh, seven of the nine uh, Muslims who were protecting the Prophet ﷺ died. Only two were left. And this is the most critical situation that the Prophet ﷺ was in throughout the entire biography. So in the whole biography of the Prophet ﷺ, this was the most critical situation that the prophet ﷺ was in even in ta'if remember we said ta'if was one of the worst days that the prophet ﷺ said it's the worst day why because he was tortured but that they didn't intend to kill him they wanted to humiliate him you know throw rocks at him remember that day we had a whole episode about it but the intention was not to murder him they couldn't murder him because you know he was from Quraysh that would have caused you know war this time they're aiming to kill they're not playing around Quraysh wants to assassinate the Prophet ﷺ or kill him in the battlefield that is their number one goal you know and if they could do so they could take over Medina to just end the Muslims in Medina they don't want Islam they don't want Islam so that's the number one goal is to kill the Prophet ﷺ to stop and to put an end to Islam but of course Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would never allow it so uh, they took the Prophet ﷺ to that small crevice. They were able to reach it, and then they he stayed inside. Now it's not a big, it's not a deep uh, hole, or it's not a deep opening. It's 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 somehow it fits one or two people max, right? And it, by the way, this 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 uh, crevice is still there. Mountain uh, um, the mountain of Uhud is still there. You guys can see it, and the crevice that the Prophet ﷺ, you know, stayed in during the battle was is still there, right? Now. Our Prophet ﷺ, he was anxious because he, not for himself, he was anxious because he wanted to see what's happening on the battlefield. What's happening to the rest of the Muslims, right? So he kept, you know, coming out of the crevice to monitor the battle and see what's happening. But then again, uh, 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 
they they basically were firing arrows because they saw them going up the mountain, the, the people of Quraysh. They saw the three of them, the Prophet ﷺ, Talha and Sa'ad, they saw them that they were going up the mountain. So they kept, you know, firing arrows at them. So Talha begged the Prophet ﷺ, insisted, please go back, O Prophet of Allah, because I don't want a stray arrow to come and hit you. You know? And then he said the famous phrase, my chest for your for your chest, O Prophet of Allah. Meaning, I'll take that arrow in my chest, but I don't want it to touch your chest. I'll basically sacrifice myself for you. Now, Sa'd was, like we said, an expert archer. He finished all of his arrows. He started like firing them, you know, and they were dropping one by one. The people of Quraysh were dropping one by one. You know, Allah gave him that, that ability to be able to be a very precise, you know, uh, archer and a very, you know, sharp one. Uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, the Prophet ﷺ, he finished all of his arrows. Sa'ad finished all of his, all of his arrows. So the Prophet ﷺ and Talha, they started gathering sticks and like, you know, anything that could work uh, as an alternative for a, uh, an arrow. And he kept giving it to, uh, to Sa'ad. And the Prophet kept kept saying, Sa'ad, keep firing and Allah is with you. Allah basically is going to give you help. Keep firing at them. Uh, and again, uh, this is, you know, uh, a praise that, you know, uh, a Prophet gave it specifically to Sa'ad. Then someone from Quraysh, Quraysh was coming up the mountain. Now, they saw someone was, you know, secretly trying to, you know, uh, quietly come from behind to attack them. And of course, Talha, that was his turn now. He's an expert swordsman. He took his sword and he went to deal with the man. And they both fight. Uh, and uh, Talha basically killed the man. But the man, before he died, he was able to cut some of Talha's fingers. You know, he just sliced them with, with the sword. Again, I'm sorry. There are gory scenes here. But it, it just, you know, I'm mentioning it in passing. And, you know, uh, during the time... And Talha was not, like, extremely harmed or anything. Um, and then, uh, but again, Talha was able to win the fight. Now, during this time, while this was happening on top of the mountain of Uhud, some of the companions were able to find, uh, you know, our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi They saw him and they basically moved from the battlefield up to the mountain. They wanted to protect him. So they ran up to the Prophet Sallallahu to protect him. And there was a group of archers on the side of Quraysh, who kept firing arrows towards the crevice. Now they found out, okay, he's hiding there. Fire at the crevice. Like just, you know, they wanted to basically uh, uh, um, get the Prophet no matter what. One of the companions who caught up to, you know, Sa'ad and Talha and the Prophet was by the name of Qatada. Again, like we said, a couple of companions were able to find the Prophet and they got there to also add to the protection team, basically. One of the companions by the name of Qatada decided to use his body as a shield to protect the Prophet They, they had no uh, shields left. They lost all the shields, right? Uh, the Prophet is very exposed now. They know where he is, right? So the, the Qatada literally kept uh, uh, blocking Every single arrow that was about to hit the Prophet ﷺ, he would block it with his own body. And then there was an arrow that was basically heading directly towards the head of the Prophet ﷺ. And Qatada 
like you know in that split second found out that the only way to block this uh this arrow is by uh using his face the arrow was a little bit high and qatada had to jump and block the arrow with his face and indeed the arrow hit qatada's eyes one one of his eyes right it hit his eye and the prophet sallallahu was so devastated when he saw that now he's seeing muslims dying left and right and that was the disaster right there he started crying out of sadness for what was happening to the muslims now here's the thing before i continue with this situation some of you might say why didn't allah protect him and send angels well allah sent angels to protect the prophet from being killed we'll talk about that but angels did not aid the Muslims, the way they did in Badr, for a very obvious reason. Muslims in Badr were very sincere. Muslims in Badr were very sincere. Muslims in Uhud, in the Battle of Uhud, they were distracted by the spoils of war. They were overconfident. They thought they got it. So Allah did not, and Allah knows what's in the hearts, right? Allah knows what's in their hearts and what's in their intentions. Of course, they didn't do anything haram, but their intentions were not pure towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why Allah blocked that help from coming to them. And we'll talk about the wisdoms of, of, of Uhud uh, after we finish this. Uh, but now, Qatada was wearing an armor because the, the, the arrows that came into his body did not kill him they wounded him severely but he was not dead by them but now this arrow in qatada's eye you know and this is what the prophet started crying from out of sadness for what he saw uh, the prophet made dua to, uh, to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and and said oh allah make this eye this eye that was just poked by an arrow make this eye of qatada the most precise eye ever ever and the best eye. Then our Prophet ﷺ took the arrow out, of course, in a very cautious way. And then he said, and, and Qatada himself, by the way, Qatada is the one narrating this. That's how we know this happened, right? Qatada is telling us, of course, the, he was in tremendous pain. And as soon as the Prophet ﷺ took the arrow out of his eye, the pain started going away. And literally, literally, instantly, his eyes healed. And Qatada literally said that since that day forward, this eye was the best eye and he could see like very sharply with it. He could see very precisely with it. It's, it was incredible. He said that this eye became way much better than his eye that didn't get uh, hit by an arrow. And subhanAllah, this is Allah's miracle. And you know, one of the miracles of the Prophet but was Allah's cause through the Prophet through his dua. And literally it became very sharp and Qatada lived uh, you know, he survived the battle and he survived this war. And, you know, until the day he died, everybody used to narrate that Qatada had the best, sharpest eye. SubhanAllah. Now, we said Sa'd. Remember, Sa'd is the expert archer here. His brother uh, named was Udba. His brother was fighting on the side of Quraysh. SubhanAllah. His, his brother, his own blood brother, was fighting on the side of Quraysh and he literally was aiming to uh, to kill the prophet so look how beautiful and, and 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 incredible you have two brothers one on the side of the prophet 
and one wants to kill the Prophet ﷺ. One is protecting him and one is trying to kill him. Now, what's beautiful about this is that, that it shows you that Islam, faith, Iman, is stronger than blood. This, uh, this, this Muslim uh, companion, Sa'd, is going to fight his own brother. He doesn't care. Why? Because he believes in Allah and his messenger. He, believe, he has a cause. Islam is the ultimate religion, the ultimate truth in our lives. Nothing, wallahi, is more true than Islam. And I'm telling you this, and I'm like, I'm with a hundred, a billion percent certainty. Nothing is more true than Islam. Nothing is more true than the message of Allah subhanahu wa taala through the Prophet And this situation is so beautiful because it shows you that Islam, you know, brotherhood in Islam, true and authentic and real brotherhood in Islam, is way stronger than true than blood brothers is way stronger than blood brotherhood. Way stronger. So, Udba, who is the brother of Sa'd, grabbed sharp rocks that were on, you know, on the mountain of Uhud, and he started throwing it towards the direction of the Prophet Sallallahu and he literally uh, uh, hit the Prophet in the face, and he caused his lips to bleed. He injured the Prophet's lips and basically his face was bleeding and his lips were bleeding. Then he was that was not over. Then he shot our Prophet with an arrow that pierced his cheek. Can you imagine? This is the brother of Sa'd. Sa'd is the one who is fighting fearlessly to uh, uh, you know protect the Prophet, his own brother shoots an arrow that pierces the cheek uh, of the Prophet ﷺ and it literally breaks one of his teeth. It breaks one of his teeth and it gets stuck there. Now, the Prophet ﷺ had a gap in his armor. He had a face armor, by the way. And, you know, in certain designs of the face armors, there will be some gaps, you know, that will expose parts of the face. And, and this, this guy, Udba, was able to aim through that gap and he got the Prophet You know? And then, uh, uh, what's his name? And then uh, Sa'd was able to, you know, fight back and he was like with his archers. He didn't kill him. Uh, but he was able to fight back and sh- fire arrows back to basically hold them off and hold his brother off uh, with the rest of the men who were trying to kill the Prophet Then, look at this. Someone else came very close to the Prophet. Now it's they're getting the, the, the circle is tightening, right? They someone came close to the Prophet holding a sword, and then he lifted his sword to strike. He that's how close he got to the Prophet. He lifted his sword to strike the Prophet, but then Talha, remember the, the expert swordsman, was able to deflect the blow with his shield, but when he deflected it, it still hit the face armor of the Prophet So it was going to, instead of killing the Prophet it hit the face uh, armor of the Prophet and it made uh, it made a dent in the armor, in the face armor, that that dent, that piece of metal, also pierced the cheek of the Prophet Can you imagine this? The other cheek. 
So you have the Prophet now is bleeding from both cheeks. His face is just bleeding. You know, his face is just bleeding. Now, Talha was able to kill that, that, that man who got close and, and you know, uh, they were able to basically uh, hold off uh, the rest of the, of the people who are attacking, but still, they are still trying to attack, right? And while the face of the Prophet was bleeding, he was like wiping his face. He's just, you know, temporarily until, you know, they see what's going to happen. The Prophet said, how can a nation expect Allah's forgiveness and mercy when they do this to the Prophet who was sent to call them to Islam or to call them to Allah or to call them to the truth. The Prophet said, how do you expect Allah to forgive them? They're trying to kill a messenger from Allah, a Prophet from Allah. They're trying to kill him for telling them worship Allah alone. How do they expect ever for Allah to forgive them? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed that statement by the Prophet in the chapter of Ala Imran, verse number 128. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, There's something very profound now. Like something very, very profound. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds to the Prophet after that statement when he said, How can Allah forgive them? How do they expect Allah to forgive them? So Allah tells him, literally this, this is none of your business. Can you imagine whether Allah forgives them or punishes them? That's none of your business. And yes, indeed, they committed injustice towards you. This is literally what the verse says. It's none of your business whether I forgive them or punish them, but indeed Allah is basically confirming, but indeed they committed injustice towards you. So Allah is just in, in a little bit rebuking the Prophet ﷺ. And this happened multiple times in the Quran, and in the, in, in the most loving way, by the way. But Allah is establishing one truth and one truth only. No one dictates for Allah what to do and what not to do. No one, not a single human being, not a single angel, no one, period, tells Allah what to do. Especially when it comes to forgiveness and punishment. Now, the Prophet did not make dua against them. The Prophet was like, how would Allah forgive them? He questioned, how would Allah even forgive them? Oh, you can't do that. We all know, and this is from multiple hadith and in the Quran, that the Prophet is the most beloved human being to Allah. There's no doubt about that. More than any other Prophet. He is the most special, beloved human being to Allah. And even though he is, he cannot dictate what Allah should for, who Allah should forgive and who Allah should punish. And this happened, remember, when he, his uncle, Abu Talib, died as a pagan and he was like I'm going to make dua to Allah for Allah to forgive you but then Allah revealed huh? you cannot guide whomever you want I guide whomever I want because I know what's in their heart you don't again he's telling the Prophet you do not dictate who do I guide and who I don't guide 
I know what's in their heart. So I guide them based on what's in their heart. You have no say in it. All you have to do, ma alayka illa al-balaghul mubiyin. Allah says, all you have to do to the Prophet convey the message. That's your job. Do not tell me what to do. And that is big because it establishes the difference between who God is and who the best of mankind is. Allah is Allah. God is God. There is no, there's a red line. You do not mix both. That's why Muslims can't comprehend the idea of Jesus Christ being uh, worshipped as a God. To us, he's the one of the most blessed prophets. We love Jesus Christ so much. But Allah is Allah. God is God. You can't come close to that. You know, you cannot come close to that. If the best of mankind, literally the best of mankind is being told, oh, you don't tell me who to forgive and who to punish. What about others like Jesus Christ, like Moses, like people who actually uses imams, some sects that they put him in a divine essence, like people who actually go to priests in, in Christianity and tell them, hey, uh, I confess to you my sins, go talk to God and, and, and ask him to forgive you make dua to Allah and ask Him to forgive you. Oh Allah, please forgive me. Oh Allah, I repent. But you don't dictate. There's a big difference, by the way, by asking Allah to forgive and dictating. Oh Allah, you should forgive me. You know, how would you not forgive me? The Prophet said, how would Allah forgive them? How? You don't say that. You don't say that. And it shows who is Allah, who is God, and who is man. What is it like to be a human and what is it like? No matter how blessed and beloved you are as a human to Allah, you're still a human being. The best of mankind, still a human being. Allah is the ultimate God. There is no other God, the only one. So this happened. And by the way, when, when, when this uh, verse, was, and, and you, you, you guys have noticed, when the Prophet again, he makes innocent mistakes. Remember, we said that all prophets and messengers. We said that in 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 in, in the in the episode of the wives of the, of the prophet Any mistake any prophet makes is out of innocence, and this is exactly what the prophet did. He made a mistake. He said, "How would Allah forgive them? How do you expect Allah to forgive them?" Right? It was a mistake out of innocence, you know. And when the prophet and and this was demon, you know demonstrated in, in multiple situations when he sees the verses when he hears the verses being revealed to him he corrects his position and as soon as the, this verse was revealed he started making dua for them that allah would guide them look instantly instantly the prophet instantly made dua for them to be guided and guess what many of them actually were guided you know who was who was who, who was guided khalid ibn al-walid himself the man who led the attack. He became uh, a Muslim. He took the shahada. He became so uh, uh, committed to uh, the cause of Islam and the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the Prophet himself, the Prophet himself called him the sword of Allah and that became his nickname until the day he died.
Can you imagine this? Khalid ibn al-Walid, the man who led the attack against the Muslims, became a Muslim himself, and he was called the Sword of Allah, because afterwards he led so many battles for the Muslims. He was the leader of the Muslims. Can you imagine? And he was named the Sword of Allah by the Prophet You know what that means, right? When the Prophet named him the Sword of Allah, that means Allah allowed it to happen. Allah gave the blessings. So technically, Allah is naming him his sword, a sword of Allah. Saifullah, Khalid ibn al-Walid. And by the way, an interesting story about Khalid. Khalid was in, in, in many battles, in many battles, you know, before Islam and after Islam, and he died in his bed. And people were wondering why he died. By the way, when Khalid ibn al-Walid died, they said that they couldn't find an inch of his body that was not scarred from like, you know, a battle wound. But why did he die in his bed? All the scholars have agreed when you are called the, the sword of Allah, you cannot be broken by someone else. Like you can't be killed in a battlefield because the sword of Allah cannot be broken by a non-Muslim or by someone, you know, or by a Muslim trader or by whoever would kill Khalid ibn Walid in a battlefield. And Allah destined for him to die in his bed peacefully. That's how the sword of Allah di- died, subhanAllah. Not broken by anybody else, but taken by Allah. His soul was taken by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Very interesting story, by the way. We said that there were angels protecting the Prophet And Sa'd himself, you know, the archer, he literally narrates that he saw two soldiers who were dressed in white, like very white, and he've, he never seen them before. He said, I've never seen these soldiers before the battle, and I've never seen them after the battle. They showed up out of nowhere and they fearlessly started defending the Prophet ﷺ when people were coming close to kill him. They protected him and their fighting styles were just out of this world. And they were literally out of this world because these were angels that, that were revealed by the Prophet ﷺ later that these were two angels like his own bodyguards that were assigned to protect him and you know not allow anybody to kill him. But he was harmed. And we'll talk about the wisdoms of that. But he was not killed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not allow them to kill the Prophet. But this is the only instance where uh, angels were basically felt, their presence were felt. And we already said why. Because the Muslims had sincerity in the Battle of Badr, but that sincerity was not there. They were fighting, you know, the, the companions were fighting for the sake of Allah, but the sincerity were not there once they saw the spoils of war. And we're not talking about all the companions, by the way. Like you have Abu Bakr, Umar, they didn't care about these things. The elite of the companions are not from the rest of the Muslims who were, you know, tempted by the the, the, the spoils of war. We're talking about, you know, the majority of the soldiers. But the elite, they were, you know, they have their statuses, of course. Now, the surprise attack also was a total chaos. It was a total chaos. It caused chaos. Now, go back. let's go back to the battlefield. Right. And basically, it Muslims were mind boggled. They were confused. They didn't know what to do. And then because Khalid was behind that first half of the Muslims who were collecting, you know, uh, the spoils of war. And he was in front of, you know, the Muslims who were uh, basically on the camp of the Prophet Now, both sides started facing each other to basically attack Khalid. Khalid was in the middle. And. While they both charged against Khalid to basically squeeze him and his men in the middle, Satan got involved. 
again, like he did in Badr. But this time, unfortunately, he was able to succeed a little bit, just a little bit. And again, Allah allowed it because of what the Muslims, this was a lesson for the Muslims. Don't mess with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't mess with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and don't disobey his messenger. His messenger tells you something, you do it. So Satan, what Satan did was he simply uh, uh, started yelling to the Muslims, oh, fight behind you. Someone is behind you. So the Muslims will turn around and they will basically stab the person behind them. And it turns out Muslims were killing one another because they were attacking each other. But they thought they were attacking, you know, Khalid's men in the middle. And in that total chaos and they were like in panic mode, Satan was able to whisper, oh, behind you, oh, behind you for them to kill one another. But of course, in an unintentional way. Also, from the casualties was Musab. Uh, Musab was Musab ibn Umair was uh, the flag bearer. He was the one holding the flag, and of course, Quraysh. They always, you know, like uh, the flag bearer is one of those who are, you know, very exposed in a battlefield, and they become one of the main targets because you know, uh, killing the one who's holding the flag causes demoralization to the army. Uh, you know of that flag so basically they went to musab they started attacking him uh, they chopped off one of his hands so he held the flag with the other then they chopped off the other so basically he held the flag with you know his his shoulders basically or you know his what's left of his arms and he was holding it until he got multiple stabs and he was killed now there was a story also of a companion by the name of hanvala 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 was newly married uh, he got married a few days before before the Battle of Uhud. And uh, basically on the morning of the battlefield, um, he got with his wife. He became intimate with his wife. And for those of you you know who don't know, when you are intimate with your spouse, you have to wash yourself in a specific way. I'll tell you really quick what it is. But it's mandatory for you to do so. Otherwise, your prayer will never be accepted because you will be considered impure. So for you to purify yourself, you have to wash yourself in a specific way. And this could be done with just pure water. So like just go in the shower. And what you do is you wash your uh, 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 right side first. So basically you literally just, you know, uh, uh, scrub your head with water. Like you rinse your, your hair, your, 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 your entire head. You uh, rinse your uh, uh, right side. And then you rinse your left side. You make sure that the water goes in every little inch of your body. You know, so basically just take a shower. It's that simple, but with the intention of purifying yourself after being intimate. So uh, he, uh, Hanvala, was intimate with his wife on the morning of the battle, but he left because he was in a hurry. He's about to go to battle without washing himself. But now Hanvala was about to kill Abu Sufyan when a spear came out of nowhere and struck him and he died. So after the battle, our Prophet ﷺ now, they're, he, they're looking at the bodies, they're collecting the bodies. Our Prophet ﷺ saw the angels washing the body of Hanvala before taking his soul up, before lifting up with his soul. So he was, you know, wondering, he was confused what, what happened. Because you guys know the body, I mentioned this before briefly, the body of a martyr is not to be washed. You do not wash the body of a martyr. And you don't do a, 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 a salat al-janazah, the, the janazah prayer upon the martyrs. You leave them as is. They have to be resurrected as is. But then he saw the, the, the angels washing Hanvala's body. So 
he was trying to figure out what happened and then later on he found out his wife of course said you know we were intimate and he did not uh, do ghusl he did not purify himself he did not wash his body after the ghusl so he got the angels to do it for him you know they didn't want him to be impure before his soul meets Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so they did it in the battlefield after he died what an honor this is a very famous story in Islam. It's a very authentic story. As, as authentic as it gets, the Prophet ﷺ narrated himself. Can you imagine being washed and purified by the angels? SubhanAllah. Now, a very interesting, another uh, mind-blowing story, in my opinion. A, a pagan from Medina. Remember, there were a few pagans left after the Battle of Badr. He was not from the hypocrites because we know that the pagans who pretended to be Muslims were called the hypocrites specifically officially after this battle but he was not from the hypocrites nor he was from the jewish tribes he was just a pagan one of the few who were left in medina so he's walking in medina looking for his friends who were muslims and he finds that the medina medina is empty so he asks the women around what's happening so they said there's a battle going on people are attacking medina and the muslim army is defending us so he's amazed by this he's like every single one of them went to fight they're not worried about you know them dying and they said no they're doing it for the sake of Allah they're doing it to protect the Prophet and to protect the message of Islam so this pagan uh, by the way his name was Usairim so Usairim just thinks and ponders for a second and he said this religion must be the truth then this is crazy. These people are giving up their lives like that. This has to be the truth. And he goes to the nearest masjid and he takes the shahada. You know, he takes the shahada. Listen to this. Packs his stuff, takes his sword, takes his shield and goes straight to the battlefield. Now he takes the shahada after, uh, uh, after Fajr time, you know, like in early morning, like after the sunrise. So he takes the shahada early morning and he goes straight to the battlefield. And then he starts, you know, fighting. But before he leaves, by the way, he tells his family, if I die in the battlefield, all my money goes to the Prophet so he can distribute it, you know, as he pleases on the poor and the people in Medina. Literally, that was his, you know, final request before he went to the battlefield. He took the sword, he took his shield, he went to the battlefield. And he was fighting ferociously. Right? And then he dies as a martyr. He gets killed in a battle. Now here's an interesting thing about Osirim. Osirim is the only Muslim that we know of back in the day who died and went to paradise. Because when I say went to, par- to paradise, meaning he dies as a martyr and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed he goes to you know paradise because we know anybody who dies for the sake of Allah is a, a, a goes straight to Jannah, to paradise. So he is the only Muslim to go to Jannah, go to paradise without praying a single prayer, without praying a single rakah. He did not prostrate once. Why? He took his shahada, he took his testimony of faith after morning, it was already too late for Fajr. And he went to fight and he died before the noon prayer, before Dhuhr prayer. So literally he did not pray anything and he went 
and he died and he was sincere because the Prophet was informed that he will go straight to paradise. And the Prophet comments on Usairim and the Prophet said, he did very little, but his rewards are massive. SubhanAllah. He did very little he did very little in terms of he went to fight for the sake of Allah. That's a big deal. But he didn't do anything. He didn't pray. He didn't fast like the rest of the Muslims, you know, do all the things, charity. He didn't do any of this. He was a Muslim for a few hours. SubhanAllah. And he died in the battlefield. Straight, his rewards are massive. The Prophet said his rewards are massive. That means Allah told him he's going straight to Jannah and one of the highest levels in Jannah. SubhanAllah. And this is like a trivia question, right? Uh, like who is the Muslim who uh, was promised Jannah, who went straight to Jannah without praying a single rakah, without praying a single prayer, without prostrating once? It is Usairim. Now, a Jewish man from the Medina by the name of Mukhairiq, he kept asking the Jews of Medina, come on guys, we had a treaty with this guy. We had a treaty with Muhammad. Let's go fight with the Muslims. We said, remember the, the constitution? We talked about the constitution. We had a whole episode about it. When there is an enemy who's coming to attack Medina, all of us will unite against that enemy. So it's time for us to fight. But of course, they said, no, we're good. They, they, they got it. And that was, you know, the beginning uh, of actually uh, the tension. Uh, and th well, the, the tension was already rising because of, you know, what they did with the whole like uh, uh, Qibla and, you know, with the whole like the, the mocking the Muslims for, you know, being like them and, and following their footsteps and all these things. Remember before. So they said, no, we're not fighting. So Mukhairiq doesn't care. He said, I'm going to honor this treaty. Now, he didn't do it for the sake of Allah. He doesn't believe, you know, in the Prophet ﷺ, but he did it politically as an honoring to the constitution. He takes his sword. He takes his, He's literally the only Jewish person who participated in the battle. Takes his sword, takes uh, his, his shield, and he goes and he fights and actually, actually dies in the battle of Uhud. And the Prophet ﷺ comments and praises him and he said he was the best of all the Jews. SubhanAllah. This man was the best of all the Jews. Now, there was a companion by the name of Mus'ab. We have a couple of Mus'abs, right? So a companion by the name of Mus'ab who looked a little bit like the Prophet He had the looks of the Prophet just a little bit, not, not that much. And he actually, on the, same of, on the same day of the battle, he dressed a little bit like the Prophet and he was killed. And because he was killed, the people of Quraysh said, we killed Muhammad. They yelled, they, they, they were shouting, we killed Muhammad, we killed him. And because he said, they, they, they thought that they killed Muhammad, the army of Khalid retreated. Oh, we did what we wanted, let's go back. And you can tell, this is, subhanAllah, like, you know, hitting uh, two birds with one stone. Number one, Mus'ab, the man who, the companion who looked at, like the Prophet ﷺ, he died as a martyr. He goes to Jannah. And also Allah tricked the disbelievers. He tricked Quraysh into thinking they killed Muhammad. So now they're not attacking as much. Now they're like, okay, now let's protect ourselves and get out of here. We did what we wanted. That's it. Now, when the man shouted and, and, you know, and yelled, I killed Muhammad, the companions heard that. 
who were in the battlefields, not of course not the, the ones with the Prophet Sallam, the ones who were in the battlefield far away from from the Prophet Sallam, and they were so demoralized, they were in shock, and they literally sat in the middle of the ba- battlefield, not knowing what to do. Now by this time, Khalid and his men were out of Ahud. They just they left. They thought, okay, we succeeded, we did it. Let's go back now before you know anything else happens. And they were in shock. The companions were in shock. They were crying. They were weeping. And it, it is said that one of the companions who had a very strong faith, subhanAllah, he passed by them and he saw them like just in shock, crying, sitting down, not knowing what to do. And he said, what's wrong with you? They said, haven't you heard? The Prophet of Allah was killed. Now, the companion didn't know that the Prophet was still alive. So he goes, so the Prophet, so Prophet Muhammad is killed but his Lord is not killed. So Prophet Muhammad was killed, but Allah is not killed. Allah is still there. Stand up and fight, he's saying. Which shows you great iman, great belief. Yes, the, the, the news of the death of the Prophet is, is devastating, but don't forget who we're doing this for. This is we're not worshiping Muhammad, we're worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then later on they found out that the Prophet was still alive, so they become extremely happy. They rush to the mountain, you know, to even add to the protection now. But already, you know, Quraysh was out of of of, uh, of Uhud. They already, you know, uh, fled. Uh, not, you know, they were technically thinking that they won the battle. They inflicted a lot of harm, absolutely, but they uh, fled because they didn't want now retaliation because the Muslims now will, you know, lose it once they find out. So they just escaped and went back to Mecca. And Abu Bakr basically saw the Prophet bleeding from his face. He was so devastated. He went to basically take out, you know, help take out the, the, the arrow and whatever the piece of metal from the face armor out of the cheeks of the Prophet. Uh, but then, uh, you know, uh, um, another companion begged the Prophet. He said, Can I do it? Let me do just one cheek and then you can do the other one. They wanted to have the blessings of doing that. And they basically took it out, and the Prophet's face was bleeding like crazy. Like it was big, two big holes in the face of the Prophet. Then uh, later on, you know, after Khalid ran away, uh, went back to Mecca, Abu Sufyan brings a little bit of an army and he comes in and he comes back to the battlefield and he starts shouting, Is Muhammad alive? Answer me. So the Prophet tells him, Don't even give him the dignity of a response. So he keeps asking, is Muhammad alive? Someone say something. No one responds. Then he asks, is Abu Bakr alive? Still, no answer. Then he asks, is Umar ibn al-Khattab alive? Nobody answers. Then he says, okay then, we have killed them all. And to that, Umar ibn al-Khattab couldn't hold his tongue. He couldn't hold himself. So he goes and he said, we are all alive and we shall harm you on another day. So Abu Sufyan responds. Now he's verified that they're, they're not dead and they're basically, their plan have failed. Right? So he says, today was a retaliation for Badr. 
So he still consider it somehow uh, a victory. Well, it's technically a victory in terms of what the, the amount of uh, losses and the harm that they inflicted upon the Muslim army. But their target, what they wanted, did not. They did not take Medina. They couldn't attack Medina. They didn't even get close to Medina. And they, above all, they could not kill the Prophet So their goals have failed. So both armies, by the way, did not get what they wanted, because the Prophet the Muslims, lost a lot of men. Right, so it's no one won this battle. The, the Muslims won in the beginning, and then the Quraysh won in terms of qu- like quantity of of, of uh, casualties on the Muslim side. So Abu Sufyan says today is a retaliation for Badr, and wars. You know, one day for you, one day for us. He's basically uh, 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 stating the reality of war. One day we win, one day you win. Then he says, you will find mutilated bodies in the battlefield, like mutilated Muslim bodies in the battlefield. I did not command my men to do so. He's clarifying now. I did not tell my men to mutilate your bodies, but I'm not angry with it either. So, (laughs) like, I don't care. They could do it, no problem. I'm not angry with it, but I didn't command it. It's not my style, basically. To that, Omar res- responded, and it was a very profound response, and he said, Our dead bodies and your dead bodies are not the same. Our dead bodies are in Jannah, are in paradise, but your dead bodies are in hellfire. Do you see? Yes, there are dead bodies on both sides of the armies, but guess what? Our dead bodies, Allah told us, they go straight to paradise. Your dead bodies, straight to hellfire. There's a huge difference. Now, Abu Sufyan shouted, raise Hubal. Now, Hubal, we know from the early episodes about the biography of the Prophet ﷺ, that Hubal is the main idol that the Quraysh worship. His name was Hubal. So basically, he's praising Hubal. He said, A'lu Hubal, raise Hubal. And to that, our Prophet ﷺ asks all the Muslims to respond. Allahu a'la wa ajal. He tells them, say, respond out loud. Allah is mightier, higher, and more honored than this thing that you worship. Then Abu Sufyan shouts, today we have Uzza and you do not have Uzza. Uzza is the second most famous idol that they worship. You have Uzza and Hubal. So he says, Uzza, today we have Uzza. You guys have no Uzza. You don't have that idol to help you. And to that also, the Prophet ﷺ told the Muslims to respond, Allah is Mawlana, Allah is our protector, and you have no protector. Who is this Uzza and Hubal? What are they going to do for you? Nothing. But Allah is our protector. He is the mightier and the more honored than any entity in this existence. SubhanAllah. And it shows you, by the way, the Prophet ﷺ, and it's very interesting, he told the companions not to respond. Omar, you know, got the better of him. But he told them not to respond and not to give them the dignity. But when it came to monotheism, when they came to insult Allah, the Prophet ﷺ could not hold it. He said, no, now you respond. And it shows you the iman and the faith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now, 
After the battle was over, the women uh, of Medina started helping, you know, the wounded on the battlefield. They came and they were providing, you know, uh, um, uh, help like su- su- supplies and, and food and drinks and all these things. And the Prophet ﷺ went home and basically Fatima, his daughter, was trying to help him with, with his, you know, face, facial wounds. And, uh, you know, because he kept on bleeding. Uh, and then she basically took uh, 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 a palm uh, palm leaves, like a date palm leaves, crushed it, it was dried, crushed it and put some water on it. She basically made paste and she uh, glued it to the holes uh, of the wounds of the face of the Prophet you know, and it did actually uh, help, uh, you know, reduce the wounds and little by little it, 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 it became, you know, healed and it became better. Now, also, the women were wailing, wailing meaning crying and saying, oh, why did you die? Oh, why this and why that? So they started wailing uh, for the dead of the Muslims, uh, you know, those who died in a battle. And since then, the Prophet ﷺ forbade wailing upon the dead. So it's very interesting fiqh for us to know, and it's actually in theology technically because it's haram and halal. Muslims are not allowed to wail over the dead. You're allowed to cry. You're allowed to feel sadness, of course, you can't help it, but do not wail. Do not say, oh, what am I going to do without you? Oh, why this happened? Oh, I can't. No, it's 100% haram. It's it's 100% haram. It's forbidden upon a, any Muslims to wail over the dead. Now, like we said, the battle of Uhud was not a, a loss to the Muslims, but it was not a victory either, right? The army of Quraysh did not achieve what they wanted. But also the Muslims did not beat the army of Quraysh, you know. In my opinion, and we said that throughout the the episode, but I'm just going to summarize the wisdoms now of the battle of Uhud. Number one wisdom is to separate between the hypocrites and the true believers. We said this happened early on, you know, in the battle, before even the battle started. The hypocrites now are official. They are separated. They are known now not to be trusted anymore. And also in Badr, the Muslims obeyed the Prophet ﷺ. They obeyed Allah's commands and his Prophet, and that's why Allah sent help. You know, remember uh, the, the, the thousand angels? Because they were sincere. They obeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger. In Uhud, they got distracted by war booty and war, uh, the spoils of war, and they got distracted by worldly rewards. And in that, they disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and disobeyed his messenger. Because the Prophet said, do not put the source down, stay put. But of course, they got distracted. And that shows us that through unity and sincerity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send us help to achieve victory. This applies on us, by the way, in our daily lives. And through this unity and insincerity, Allah will take that help away. This is literally... As clear as it gets between the battle, the biggest difference between the battle of Uhud and the battle of Badr. You know? Another wisdom of the battle of, uh, of Uhud, every senior leader of the Quraysh was killed in the battle of Badr. Abu Jahl was killed. You know, Umayyah ibn Khalaf was killed. All the seniors were killed in the battle of Badr. All the seniors in the battle of Uhud became Muslims. Subhanallah, look at the difference. Abu Sufyan became a Muslim. He later on converts to Islam. Khalid ibn al-Walid, we said he became the sword of Allah. Ikrimah himself, the son of Abu Jahl, he becomes a Muslim. Can you imagine? 
Hind becomes a Muslim, the one who, you know, mutilated uh, the body of Hamza. Another thing is, victory is not guaranteed just because you are a Muslim. You have to work for it and be sincere and leave the rest to Allah and accept victory and thank Allah for it and accept defeat and be patient for it. So you do your best and you ask Allah for help. Be sincere. That's the problem with the battle, that they were not that sincere. But you be sincere and leave the result to Allah. If Allah gives you victory in anything, a job, you know, marriage, whatever your, 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 uh, you know, your situation is, if Allah gives you victory, thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and accept it, of course. But if Allah doesn't give you victory, if Allah doesn't give you what you want, be patient. Be patient and still accept it. It's part of our faith to accept our destiny and accept Allah's decree. Now, and this is the last point I'm going to mention. The Prophet ﷺ, why was he injured that badly? He was injured really badly. It shows the humanity of the Prophet ﷺ. At the end of the day, he's a human being. At the end of the day, he's a human being. And Allah is showing us that victory does not come without a struggle. Even for the Prophet ﷺ himself, he had to physically struggle to eventually get the victory he wants. Again, the Prophet ﷺ is a human being and Allah showing us. Allah protected him from being killed. But he left him wounded to show he is a human being. Don't forget that. Number two, he's showing us that even the Prophet ﷺ himself has to do the work and he has to struggle and bear some pain to achieve the ultimate victory that he wants. Thank you so much for listening and I hope we uh, learned a lot from this battle i think there's a lot to you know be learned here and uh, there's a lot of wisdom that we could you know derive from this battle and we could you know utilize in our uh, lives may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us thank you so much for listening wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh